Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. It is the eve of the NBA Finals, but we have so much other business to attend to, including, uh, of course, this upcoming 2023 draft. And today, we will discuss one Scoot Henderson of the G League Ignite. We will. And Scoot Henderson has been on our radars for a while because he has now spent two years with the G League Ignite. And to get some of his basics, key point of frustration, Scoot Henderson did not get measured at the Combine, so we have to work with conjecture here. Um, Listed at 6'2", 195 pounds, I could see a 6'9 wingspan. You see some things that maybe he's taller than that, but can't really work with it. Let's say those measurements are right. I'm not saying they are. That's comparable to like DeAnthony Melton and Deuce McBride. If you wanted like just the basic like height, wingspan, weight, that's about about what I could tell from the combine history. Scoot, born February 3rd, 2004. So he will be an age 19 rookie by like a couple of days. Um, but that will, you know, that'll look different for everything else. Um, and then a little quick, quick version of his bio. Henderson grew up in Marietta, Georgia, the sixth of seven kids. He averaged 32, six and seven as a high school junior and then went to the G League night for two years, was a top 10 recruit, but not top five in any of the services before he became not a recruit anymore. And an important piece of context that will loom large in at least my analysis, but I presume both of us. Scoot Henderson played this incredibly memorable game against Victor Wembanyama and Metropolitans 92 early in the season, kind of before their seasons truly started. Almost immediately thereafter, Scoot Henderson suffered a bone bruise in his right knee and was dealing with that, missing games, not playing quite right for a significant portion of the 22-23 season. Yeah, not only that, he had a couple of concussions. He had a nasal fracture, which I think was related to the concussion. So he didn't play at the G League Showcase, uh, much to our regret. And ended up playing 25 games from November until March 9th. So basically about a college season. He shut it down for the last five games of the G League season with the Ignite eliminated from playoff contention. This was not a great team overall. Uh, although when Scoot played there a little better uh <laughs> so let's talk about the physical profile a little bit more you mentioned the 6269 wingspan definitely looks like he has a 69 wingspan like I can certainly buy that he also has massive hands like you'll see him oftentimes just like palm the ball hold it the, kind of the way MJ used to when he's like waiting for a screen or something like that and if he's not the most athletic point guard prospect ever he's in the next tier down at a minimum I would say excellently 
leaper off of one foot, particularly because he can get great extension with those long arms, big hands uh, as a finisher. Gets up pretty darn well off of two. Also, you know, he'll fly in, try for some tip dunks every now and again. He had just some massive dunks during the season and also like a pretty strong body. You mentioned 195. You know, he's always kind of just had that sort of strength. And unlike a lot of 19-year-old guards, like that is probably not going to be, everyone can kind of get stronger in their core and stuff like that, but he's not going to come into the league where he's just like absolute meat physically the way, you know, maybe like a Jalen Green coming out of G League Ignite did a couple of years ago. Uh, Lateral movement, pretty solid. You know, you don't see him like really heating up the ball that much, but could do it on occasion. And then the other thing that really impressed me is just his ability to start and stop so quickly and play at different speeds. But that that was the biggest thing. Like his acceleration is fantastic and his deceleration is fantastic. And he uses both of those to basically get wherever he wants to go on the floor. One thing on the athleticism front that I'll add, it was actually my first note in the preliminary, in the, my preliminary video analysis is that I really loved his quick twitch. Um, there was an early play where, he, where Scoot got into the lane and basically jumped twice before anyone else jumped once. Oh yeah. And that is something that, and remember G League, you're playing against professional. And so that, uh, that, that really stuck out to me. And yeah, the athleticism of the parent, the thing that I'll kind of tie that into, again, there, there's context with the footage, with, with injuries and everything else. In the footage we saw, I actually wish at times that Henderson applied his athleticism more, particularly in transition. Like he, I don't think his motor is bad, but there were times where I was like, oh man, if he, you know, if you could make more of his game, this, the incredible parts that work so well, there is some context, not only with the injuries, but also like it was, especially in some ways, the 21-22 was a really weird G League season too, um, that I, I'm willing to give him more of a pass, I think, than some guys, just because he did did have times where he pushed it and like as some of the film that I think we both watched was super duper impressive. So I'm a little bit concerned, but it's more like a, a note in my head rather than like a true flaw. And if you consider some of the injury issues as well, that could be a, an explanation for that. Although, you know, again, that's something that goes into this, but at least he has spent a, a little bit less time and also with the pandemic too, just playing less in general. So, and I think there's even been an understanding that a lot of guys coming into the league now are actually looking better in terms of some of their medicals because they didn't play as much during the pandemic and then being on the G League at night the last couple of years as well. You know, he's not playing playing five games in a weekend on the AAU circuit or anything like that. I'll leave it up to you here. What do you want to discuss about him next? I want to go a little bit through kind of the process for me because it was so so interesting. Scoot Henderson, somebody that you and I had seen a little bit in person um, beforehand, especially I, I think he played against the Santa Cruz Warriors in that we saw him back in his first year with the Ignite in 21-22. Uh, no, I think he did not play. You're talking about like the Wiseman return game. At well, I know the one. Bef- there was one before that. You might not have gone. Ah. I went. Oh, okay, I yeah, I maybe maybe you went by yourself. That's right. Yeah, that, that I think that was you, you might have been otherwise occupied and. And um, but so really, but that that's kind of fallen down the memory hole to a fair extent. I in the very early film I watched of Henderson, and again, I, I generally start with randomized offensive possession. So it could go in any direction. But I started with the 21 20, with the 22, 23 season. Um, I eventually incorporated some of 21, 22. I'll note that because of the injury. I actually wasn't particularly impressed. I thought that there were some elements that uh, in terms of like the mechanics as a point guard, they didn't particularly like there weren't a ton of like, the way I described it is there were more more oof 
passes than wow passes in that early bit and i didn't see him shake guys all too often but what was so encouraging and exciting was that well those elements were not necessarily like totally flipped when i watched more games and watched more film the thing that stuck out to me particularly in that game against metropolitan 92 which you watched live and i hadn't seen until this until today actually i finished it today was scoot henderson is more adept at pick and roll orchestration than most guys his age. Like it's not necessarily like the, you know, like the shake and handle, but like he can set a guy up in the pick and roll. He knows where the roll man's going to be. And he also knows the, where the help is coming from. And that kind of like skip pass one pass away. And that made me feel a lot better because most 19 year olds, most 20 year olds don't have that sense the way Scoot does. And part of why he is able to have that sense is that he plays under control like he gets to spots he can use hesitations he's got a big body his long arms enable him to keep the ball away from the defender when he's dribbling he knows how to use screens re-screens uh he can also even come works pretty well in the handoff game coming off the ball they had a lot of sets like bringing him out of the corners also where where he could turn the corner or, or work and so because he's able to get to his spot so he can slow down he can speed up he trusts his speed and acceleration that if he gets to a spot going 60 percent if he needs to turn on the jets to attack an opening he can do that and because he's not out of control he's able to see the floor so much more easily a lot of guys are just attacking so fast that i mean you almost don't because you're attacking so fast because you're like all right i gotta get to the rim i'm gonna just go as hard as i can until someone gets like right in front of me there almost isn't i mean number one it's just harder to process things that quickly but number two they're just like stuff happens on the backside of a pick and roll like you, you allow the defense time to rotate over and you allow your role man time to get on top of the rim and for openings to emerge or for guys to make mistakes and that's just a huge part to me of his game i mean i he's not you know a trey young level a guy where i was just like oh my god you just wowed you know like trey young is probably the best passing point guard coming out of college that i can remember since we've been doing this uh but scoot is certainly i would say again like on the next like pretty refined i mean that was probably his best game at that uh, against mets 92 and also worth noting by the way in terms of the level of competition if you think about it i would say just with some of the names in the french league are not that great like uh, uh you know maybe some of the better teams are but victor wembanyama's team I mean, they did kind of grow throughout the season but they had like g league ignite beat them i can't remember what happened in the second game but scoot didn't play and g league ignite wasn't a good g league team and mets 92 was i think they got second place in the french league and we'll see what happens in the playoffs so that's it kind of just at least a reasonable indication of just like the quality of competition if you're comparing Wembenyama and Scoot not that I'm gonna don't worry I'm not gonna say that Scoot should be the number one pick but just in terms of taking a look at especially a team with all these young guys like how they're playing how Scoot was playing in the G League like it's definitely a different you know more overall like more talented league if maybe not as disciplined as the French League uh that's actually what Kevin Dana said who's uh been my partner on a couple of those Wembenyama broadcasts and like so he's seen plenty of French League but also he's the play-by-play man for the Santa Cruz Warriors so he's a pretty good comparison uh in any event getting back to Scoot yeah I I mean it's just for a 19 year old point guard prospect like again you know is he like quite on the level maybe like a John Wall early like maybe not quite there 
Or like another one going back deeper into my repertoire was like Mike Conley was a really developed young point guard in terms of the pick and roll orchestration, but he's not near the athlete that Scoot Henderson is. And so it's, yeah, you know, it's uh, or score. Yeah. So yeah, sure. Uh, at least certainly at that point. So yeah, I, I mean, we're, he's going to get compared to a lot of the top point guard prospects that we've seen. And, you know, I think he's up near the top to me in terms of pick and roll orchestration, even if there weren't necessarily a billion like wow plays, he is making a solid read and also just using his own scoring gravity a fair amount as well. And since we're talking about pick and roll, like many athletic guys, especially young athletic guys, Henderson shows a lot more pop when he rejects the screen. And that will be really devastating in the NBA because you just Jalen Green, incidentally, another guy who played for the G League night. I noticed that with him, too. Um, and the biggest flaw other than that shake that I talked about earlier in terms of pick and roll for Henderson is that he throws some really casual passes. He, I don't think his vision is bad. There's just sometimes where it's just like, he just doesn't always get it. But again, young guy problems. I, I, I fully think that the, those can be tightened up in time and they probably will. And there were some plays where you saw him do things they're just really intriguing. Like there was one I wrote in my notes where he snaked the pick and roll and then just shot an 18 foot pull up and drilled it. And like, that's not, not something mechanically that most guys his age can do. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's just been the point guard of like a real pro NBA team playing an NBA style for two years. And there just aren't, we haven't really seen anyone who's come in to the league with that type of experience, even if it wasn't like that many games. Uh, you know, I mean, like Killian Hayes was like the point guard who could do whatever he wanted in Germany, basically, and, you know, had like the most turnovers that like any prospect ever has. And scooped 3.5 turnovers, but it's nothing, that's not insane for a prospect like this. So, uh, I mean, that's, and not only that, but he was like, he was able to handle that. Like he didn't look remotely overwhelmed. Like he, he didn't have just like any times where you're just like, oh my God, this guy just like looks like a disaster out here, you know, going up against men. Like, what is he doing? Like, no, it all like, it all looked good. It looked like it's supposed to look, I mean, even that for a 19 year old, like there really aren't, I mean, can you think of anyone who's really was even like an overseas guy coming in who was just like, all right, this is the 30 minutes a game point guard for this. I mean, Luca would be the the only one you would you could talk about there. Obviously, Luca, I believe level, I believed it with Rubio going back that far. Um, OK, but- yeah, that, that would be one. But yeah, but I mean, and then, of course, he didn't even come over until he was like 21 either. Sure. Um, and there were a couple of, you know, like the tools in the tool bag for Anderson. There were a couple of pocket passes I didn't love, but overall he had some really nice ones, especially in that Metropolitan 92 game, the one I watched. And so the the pocket pass, that pass to the opposite side, you know, reading the low man, that's that's a really nice step in the process. He also had a, a really good, when I watched the assistant turnover film, this is back in 21-22, he had a really nice high entry pass to a fronted big. That's not a pass that most point guard size guys can really nail. And I was, I was very impressed to yeah on that score i thought i thought he did a great job of just like running the offense getting the ball on time to guys coming off of screens like they ran a bunch of plays for john jenkins who was like their shooter and you know the ball would get there when it needed to get there for him uh so it wasn't some of his assists weren't spectacular but it was just like okay there they had like a little set where they'd run a pick and roll then leonard miller would duck in at the basket and he would find him there so there were uh, like just the over that's again going back to this idea of like hey this guy is just run a pro offense already for two years 
I think we could transition to one of the other elements that is worth discussing with Henderson, which is his weirdly low effectiveness on layups and dunks this year. Now, part of that is obviously the injuries and everything else. Like, so 47th percentile, 1.13 points per possession on layups. Now, layup, layups are actually lower efficiency for guys who dunk because they, do, they don't get those transition ones as much. Those are dunks instead. But 1.45 points per possession on dunks is yeah. granted, it's only 15 a- to 21 uh, yeah. on dunks. Like, that's not great. But yeah. again, was dealing with a bone bruises knee. I mean, when I watch him, I don't think, oh, this guy's going to have trouble finishing in the NBA. But it is a data point worth mentioning and consider. Yeah, the 15 and 21 dunk, like a couple of them were just like ambitious tip dunks as they were scored on synergy. And the, some of the other misses were pretty ambitious. Also, I think he didn't really get his shot technically blocked that much. Synergy only has him at getting eight of his shots blocked all year in 25 games. That's pretty good for, for a guy like this in particular. Now, I will agree with you that, and actually two of those blocks were by Wemben Yum. <laughs> actually, by the, no, I think it was actually three of them, two jumpers, and uh, although that that isn't included, I don't think, in these in these sets. Yeah, here, hold on. Let me see if I can include those. Yeah, there we go. So yeah, I got his shot blocked 11 times on the season in, I guess it would be 26 games. Not too terrible for a, a guy, guy like this. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love 
American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant, featured in Giant Magazine, Issue 2. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finger code CAPSPACE at checkout. You remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time here on the program. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know you came from us. Now, I completely agree with you. Even though the overall numbers for, again, a young guard who almost always struggled to finish at the rim were like decent, but not amazing, like high 50s. I think, do, do you have the overall rim finishing number? Yes, I do. Um, 1.17 points per possession, which is 38th percentile. Okay. Yeah. So that's basically like 58 and a half percent at the rim. And I really, I have no concerns about his ability to finish at the rim in the NBA eventually. That is the biggest thing that guys improve. I thought just again like there you didn't see very many of these finishes there are a few of them and the g league isn't like the tallest league but it's not like he was just like going into guys and just making a terrible decision to shoot it just getting completely swallowed up by verticality i mentioned how he didn't get that many of his shots blocked a lot of it was just like kind of weird blown finishes Uh, i mean maybe that's something that will persist like it almost seemed like his hands were like too big and he just like was like couldn't release the ball quickly enough there are a few of them where like it would just like it looked like it was gonna be an easy layup like he's the shots that he's generating like a lot of these were just like oh yeah he's got this and then and maybe that's partially because i'm used to watching pro point guards but these weren't just like oh yeah he like can't get off the ground he's just getting completely overwhelmed athletically it was more just like i just kind of smoked that like what happened so i i think he's gonna clean that up uh and even if he doesn't like he still gets there enough that it's still really good offense even if he never if he's like a weirdly like slightly below average finisher for his tools but i i my most likely outcome there is that he cleans that up he's just gonna be a really good finisher he's got some pretty good creativity as well like some of his finishes like the kind of over the shoulder right hand finish on the left side as he crosses the lane and maybe could get better with the left but it's pretty decent already uh so i i'm i i believe he's gonna be a very solid finisher i do do you have any uh, yeah you you uh and then his floater game was Mm -hmm. surprisingly solid improved a ton from last year when he didn't hardly take any 17 to 35 on floaters that's actually like when you consider again this it's not a huge sample it wasn't like a huge part of his game but like he has it it looked good like that's i mean he's gonna need that if teams are in like a drop coverage like he certainly is gonna be able to get to that shot whatever he wants to against a drop coverage like if he's got that like that kind of touch that's 
that's very exciting also. It is. And um, Henderson took very few floaters uh, two years ago, but he you know made them at a good rate. And He was two of seven two years ago, and he was 17 at 35 this year. Yeah, and, so, and, and that'll tie in in the overall jump shot conversation. But one other way that, that, I, that struck me that Scoot Henderson really differed from two years ago to this year is in isolation. So two years ago in ISO, Scoot drove 25 times and took what they call an early jumper five times. And then in the most recent season, Henderson, in all three kind of, so Synergy tracks it by parts of the four, it, starting with an ISO, he took an early jumper more than he drove from all three parts of the four. So that was just the player that he was. And Yeah, well, that's also how they're playing because the, the sure. book on him was, we're going to back way off, we're going to go under on pick and roll and that's, you know, against him, especially in this league that doesn't have a ton of rim production, like that was clearly the right way to play him. It was. And so that led to Scoot taking more jump shots and it wasn't always the most successful though the the weirdest thing and i had a note on this about we'll start with his pull-up jumper is when it looks good including in that that game against Rush problems but also i mean i one of the other games i watched was they played the memphis hustle and that memphis hustle team by the way had some dudes like that was kenneth lofton had a monster game laravia and then zaire williams was there and a number of the made mid-rangers from scoot henderson in that game were over zaire williams who is a big dude like you know he's part of the reason we're so intrigued by him guarding potentially point guards is because he's so much bigger than they are and so for henderson yeah. like the overall numbers on his pull-up J aren't fantastic. So like dribble jumpers, it's um, 0.81 points per possession, or if you prefer it this way, about 37% field goal percentage, which is below average, not significantly below average. Um, but what I one of the notes that I had, and this was in the randomized film, was there aren't that many players off the cuff that I've seen who their makes look this good who didn't eventually tighten it up. Like that doesn't mean it becomes their best attribute or anything like that. But generally speaking, the guys where it's like, oh, this is messed up, their their highs aren't this high. No, I think that's fair. And, it, you know, his jumper, he kind of shoots it a little bit on the left side of his body, a little in front of his face, not like the absolute highest release. But he gets to a spot and he pops off the ground so quickly on these mid-rangers. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it could look really good at times. I mean, he had some bad misses from three. We'll talk about that. But I, I thought mostly his mid-ranger looked good. Took some early ones at times in the clock like, that weren't, like, out of pick and roll that were maybe bad shots. Uh, um, that was probably one of the few issues I had overall with some of his decision making and he also even had like you know a couple of post-up possessions he had like a little like dirk fade move that he broke out at one but he really has a, a lot of moves a lot of different ways that he can attack uh let's see what you sparked something else for me i can't remember what it is yeah i guess i was gonna say like i think i mentioned like an iso they back off of him he's kind of taking what the defense give him same thing they're going under on all these pick and rolls uh the only guy that i ever saw give him like make him look uncomfortable was when Benito <laughs> that was who blocked a couple of his jumpers other than that like he's able to get like he played against uh, Shaq Harrison who's a really good defensive guard for the South Bay Lakers he had to leave that game Scoot did uh due to injury after like seven minutes but even then like he was had no trouble like getting to using the screen getting to where he wanted to get to Again, Shaq Harrison, and you know all these guys who are going against him were like fired up uh, to try to defend him. 
So, yeah, I, I mean, I th- like, again, you think about where some of these, the pros- the best point guard prospects were in terms of their mid-range jump shot, and we'll talk about the three in a second, and I would say he's a fair amount ahead of those guys, both in his ability to generate that shot and, I think, at this point, make it. One of the things I liked most about Scoot Henderson's pull-up shot um, is that I focus a lot on the lower body in part because I think I'm better at evaluating it than the upper body of a guy's shot, and it seemed pretty consistent but it was also pretty like he's athletic enough got on balance a lot and then he runs into problems we'll get into this on the three with like i i think of it as like the bouncy problem where guys who are good jumpers sometimes don't get consistent jumps i think he ran into that more on the three it's also a long shot um but on the mid-ranger he kind of he kind of knows knows what he's doing there and was able to there was more consistency with the shot and that's exactly what you're looking for and yeah i mean one banyama i would say there were a couple times where zaire williams got him uncomfortable but not like i mean he was still making those shots like it was they were just a little bit harder than usual and so yeah there there's a lot a lot to like there even if the overall numbers aren't great and speaking of overall numbers not being great Scoot Henderson from three. Um, I will use the version of the G League stats that incorporate the cup games because, I mean, it's just to me as from what I know, just as reasonable a sample in that actually makes Scoot's numbers a little bit better. So this most recent season, he was 22 of 68 from long range. That's 32 percent. The year before, 11 to 51. Yes, that's 22%, which is not fantastic. Though it is also worth noting that Scoot made 78% of his shots from the free throw line in his first G League season and 75% in this most recent season. Yeah, and I think given his age, like this is, remember, this is a guy who's be a freshman in college. The fact that he was 22% last year and improved to where it was a passable shot for him to take. You know, most of these are in the half court. Most of these are off the dribble. Uh, the catch and shoot wasn't amazing. He only had uh, 27 catch and shoots. I think all of those were threes or pretty close to him. Yeah, it looks like all of them were threes. He was 9 to 27 in catch and shoot threes. But he's uh, like, I, I agree with you that on time, at, at times he wasn't getting like a consistent jump. And that is hard for these guys who really like to rise up that great have great athleticism but he's also taken like a lot of step backs as well as shooting these on the move off the dribble and he, he worked to his step back to create the those threes hit a couple in the the exhibition against mess 92 and so given this shot diet type of player that he is yeah it's not amazing offense yet he's not taking that many a game 2.7 a game or so but totally on track to me for like the type of player that he's going to be is it going to be like i think he'll be good enough at it i feel likely as a floor to where okay the book can't just be we're going to go under on this guy every single time and just let him shoot it like, and he's not going to be able to make teams pay to compare him to somebody we recently analyzed i feel significantly more confident in scoot henderson's jump shot than a man thompson's oh yeah i mean that's not not even in the same ballpark particularly given that scoot is a year younger than a man and like a it, year and a half younger than and shooting from the nba three-point line Brandon miller yeah right exactly so, so I, I think like I, again for this sort of athletic point guard type of prospect i am not sure actually who unless you want to put Kyrie in that category i think he's a different kind of player uh, didn't have quite this uh, athleticism and was more of a scorer than a pure point guard but other than that i mean it's hard for me to think of anyone who was this good of a shooter 
and and this level of athlete and also has the the other skills that he does so i I think if you're for the type of player that he is i I don't really look at the jump shot as a huge weakness maybe it doesn't work out that well maybe he's you know 33 34 percent on threes mostly off the dribble i may i don't know if he's going to get to 40 percent. i think the shot dial will just be too hard for that number one and he probably won't get to be like that level but you know could he get to be at 36 37 percent and you know maybe have some big games when the strategy dictates it like i I think he has a decent chance of getting there i like that he has improved as much over the last couple of years as he has and when you consider the context of you know covid and and the situations like it's gonna take some time and Scoot Henderson, like again, the, the mechanics of it are are generally they're they're generally in the realm, and so yeah, and and a lot of guys who ended up becoming strong shooters, like I think Lillard is one of the few exceptions, and he was doing it at Weber State, which was a, a distinctly different environment. Like Lillard shot over, I think it was over thirty five percent all four years of college. Um, is that generally, but it was you know while we're in school. Um, is that it takes some time, and with with Henderson, you, that doesn't mean it's going to be a success. Like there are a million examples at every position of like this skill, you know, especially if it's a swing skill. Like oh well, he'll get this and it'll work. But it's it's what is the likelihood that it's like a, a catastrophic flaw or anything else? And it's like it's there, but it's not it's not scaring me off. I'll put it I'll put it that way. Um, something else in the Scoot Henderson offensive game that we didn't see much at the G League level. And I I saw it in the film, and I just also you see Scoot Henderson's body. Uh, it is not only the off-ball game, like cutting and all that, but at use as a guard screener. I think there's a lot that could be done there. He has a he has pretty good sense of the game and he has good positional size. Like I I think that there is a there is a lot that you can do there, which in the worst case scenarios that the jump shot does it come around and we talked about everything else like but it's even not that sort of circumstance i mean there are a lot of times now where nba teams have two ball handlers on the floor and so you can use them in screening actions or you have them screen for a shooter or something like that like i think scoot henderson will be able to handle those kinds of roles and actually do it pretty well a couple of just smaller notes to clean up here on his offense transition certainly devastating when he gets into it in clear fast break situations like we were talking about with Amen thompson not just that i'm gonna run it down your throat mentality i think they're particularly given the injuries he might be able to get in a little bit better of shape you saw some of the defensive errors when he would fatigue as well but yeah to just be like every time i get the ball i'm gonna just dribble up court as hard as i can until somebody stops me like i would love for him to get to that mentality a deer and fox kind of mentality and hopefully with the right coaching well, that it, will happen it, it's also i mean we, we praised scoot henderson for this before like there every once in a while you hear an, an invocation of somebody like russell westbrook it's like for his for his brilliance and detriment like russell westbrook that throttle doesn't exist and there are times where i wish scoot henderson had a little bit more westbrook but most of the time i didn't and there are certainly plenty of times where he saw the opening accelerated and, and went for the big dunk uh in terms of his passing particularly with how many passes now need to be thrown to the weak side and the vision required to see that it's tough for a short guy to be one of the best passers in the nba and i don't know if scoot's gonna be at like the absolute top of the list but i, you know, I think he can be you know very very solid to like, playmaker. I, I like john morant's vi- vi- purely vision i like morant's vision better for a similarly heighted guy than i liked scoots personally yeah I, I think that's probably like job ja probably threw more spectacular passes but he was playing at a much lo- lower level of competition and was a year older when we watched film uh, of him 
and also had way more turnovers uh, as well. Ja, ja has more top-end acceleration, even more bounce probably as a dunker and layup finisher than Scoot does. But Scoot has a bigger wingspan. He's a lot stronger. And, uh, and But going back to the passing... Because he does have the big hands and the long wingspan, I think that does alleviate some of the issues that you might have as a shorter guy trying to make a, all these passes in today's game. And then free throw drawing, not particularly advanced there. I didn't see much in the way of kind of those bullshit foul drawing plays, but I think he, he's a smart enough player and seems to have added so much to his game that I think that's something he can work on, particularly with like the change of speed, the acceleration, wrong footing guys. So uh, that's the, I think what was it, like three free throw attempts a game? It wasn't like anything particularly exciting. Um, how about, and I guess if we're talking offense, no, I'll save this part actually. Let's, should we talk about the, the rest of the game? Let's do it. And for Scoot Henderson defensively, I think it's more a th- about what he could be. I, I didn't think that the defensive film on him was fantastic. Um, there were plays, whether it was against Tremont Waters, who again is a professional, but where he, he he gave up clean drives with minimal resistance. Um, yeah, the problem is he's not in a stance that often. No, that's not, why he gets blown by. Reason, or same reason he has trouble yeah. navigating screens. Um, yeah, and, and when, he'll, when, he'll or like any hesitation, he'll like get out of his stance and get blown by. Like it, it, right. it wasn't great, but yeah, and you know. and like helping without helping, a lot of those kind of standard standard flaws. But there are two big things. One, Scoot Henderson has the physical capability to clean some of that up. Like the the problems he was having are correctable. And two, and I think this, and incidentally, John Moran is the guy who clarified this for me. Something I think about now for a guy who could potentially be a lead ball handler and is at least ostensibly point guard sized is could you credibly defend another position because if you could generally speaking even if you're a pretty good defender you're gonna want that lead ball handler on someone else just to take away the strain and foul trouble and everything else so whether that's you know it's great if you have like lucas size or lebron size obviously but even you know like john morant steph curry typically aren't guarding the other team's primary ball handler and i think that's an element of scoot henderson's defense that is encouraging i don't know like you think i brought up before that his basic measurement if we assume that the kind of preliminary stuff that's out there is right, which it might not be, are closer to like a D'Anthony Melton or Deuce McBride. Those guys aren't three position defenders, but I think they're two position defenders. And so if you put Scoot on the other team's two, in certain circumstances, that player could be a damn good player. But most teams would would have a player there that he can handle. So if you don't love him as a point of attack defender, which he's not good at right now, either you coach him up or you just have somebody else do that. Yeah, and he's got the capability physically to be one of the better guard defenders in the NBA, like the long arms. He does have pretty quick hands as well. Could probably get over even for a few like rim protection plays. Uh, but it'll require a lot of improvements in technique and stuff. But for, again, this player type, again, if you, if you well, I just said again, and now I'm saying it again. If you compare him to John ja Morant's defensive effort in college, for example, Scoot looks way better. It wasn't a complete disaster. He executed some of his help responsibilities. He made plays off the ball at times. He could get into the ball every now and again. He's going to be strong enough. He's not going to be like a Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday style switch defender, but I think he's someone who could at least hold up for a, a little bit, try to get underneath guys a, a little in the post, or you could even see him maybe switching on to guys like a Devin Booker and being okay there. Uh, because he's strong enough, long enough arms can like get in into him and make him uncomfortable. Again, not even close to seeing this on the film, but there are enough flashes that I feel pretty comfortable 
with that. And he goes after loose balls pretty well. Also would break on the ball and get steals pretty regularly. Like if you if guys tried to like throw a pass over his head, a lot of times he'd get his both arms up above his head, jump and like and get a deflection. And then defensive rebounding. This has long been a big thing in the statistical community of that point guards who rebound usually end up being pretty good and he was an excellent rebounder for his size or the stats on that overall um scoot henderson grabbed 5.4 rebounds per per game and if you want it in terms of rebound percentage um 9.6 total 15.4 percent of defensive rebounds yeah that's good for a guard and he would even get on the offensive glass uh, on occasion as well i thought he would he would see opportunities where he could streak in and at least make an attempt and i watched some of his his rebounds in addition to just in the games like you could get in there get some contested rebounds also across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like updating turbines at one of our indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the gulf of mexico it's and not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. From there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Uh, last thing, I mean, most of the reports on just like what he is as as a player and a guy are very positive. And also the impact. I, I, you sounded like you might have had some stats on this, but just the, the impact on like his actual team performance, because it's the G League, we have access to that, it was very solid. I actually do not have stats on that. Oh, okay. Well, I've got them. Okay. So there, it's broken down into two sections because there's the regular season and then there's the showcase cup, which was early, but kind of before the injury. And the G League Ignite really struggled, weren't in playoff contention. But, and of course, he played with John Jenkins, some of their better guys, like they started their best lineup. And then some of the prospects who are in there but aren't really that good played some off the bench. So if the take with that, we will. But he also, let's not forget, he missed a bunch of games too where they had some of their other starters. I'm not going to try to tell you exactly what their rotation was and what you can take away, take away from this, uh, whether they were shooting luck involved. We're not going to get to that level here. But just to, as a data point to make you feel good about his impact, 
in the regular season, which is 18 games that he played, 116 offensive rating on the floor, 103 off. Negative 2.5 net rating overall for the team, negative 9.4 when he's off the floor. And then in the Showcase Cup, they were actually positive when he played and 109 offensive rating there, uh, 106 or 104.6 when he was off the floor and they were like a negative 10 overall net rating. Uh, so they were basically you know, like a negative one net rating over the course of all competitions when he was on the floor and they're like a negative nine when he was off. And so like he really did make a difference for helping this team. Like he was a quality G League point guard this year, didn't put up just like mega stats. He had some mega gains with like double digits assists and stuff. And, you know, it did seem like his season kind of wound down with all the injuries and the concussions and just, all right, our season, they lost a bunch of games when he was out too. And he came back. It's like, all right, is this really worth that? He didn't play as well at the end of the season as he did at the beginning, but he definitely was uh, helping the team. So let me ask you this as a way to transition into a summary of him. What do you consider his biggest weakness to be as a as a prospect? Obviously, we know he's not a fully formed player right now, but like what worries you about him? Like how does he fail possibly? Two things. Um, one, actually, I'll go three. One is the jump shot isn't quite good enough. And so teams can work around that a little bit. And, and the, the positives that we saw in the pick and roll get harder with the athleticism shifts of surrounding talent so that's that's one big one for me second is that generally speaking like i don't think he has a ton of shake and like handle like the isolation numbers generally weren't weren't great for him and so you you have that part and then the other one is that so, Mike so you and I, quickly remember that third thing but you, you and i disagree on on that though with the check i thought it was good i think his handle's good i think he gets to where he wants to go on the floor i think he gets separation and he's not he's not as flashy as a morant but i think he's i, th- I think it's more solid. functional than dynamic which can work but i always work when you face when you step up levels and you know if you're getting better defenders on you it can be hard and then the third is if what i said weren't glaring concerns about his motor if those are real and so then the the he's not creating as many advantages in situations where he could and then that just makes life harder not only on scoot henderson but on his team because not pushing a transition and so they're taking stuff off the board and if he's not as good a half court creator as like you know like you can get away with that with luca because luca is luca but you can't with like that's one of my criticisms of Kate Cunningham is that so far he has done that and so you can incorporate it with another guy like Jaden Ivey and everything else but it would be leaving quality shots on the table so those to me are the the big concerns I have yeah I I, you know is it possible that he just like goes somewhere and they're just always shitty and he you know never really develops from like an effort and a winning standpoint like yeah maybe that's a concern that seems kind of low though the the only thing that I have concern about is the shot and I think it's like it's already adequate enough and it's going to improve he's shown this track record of improvement so it's just more like okay maybe it's still pretty below average and then that is a an anchor on the rest of his game which I, I also happen to really like so what I'll transition to then out of that is like what else do you want in a point guard prospect like this guy is he checks every single box to me that you realistically could want unless you're expecting the guy a 19 year old point guard with this level of athleticism to also be shooting 40 percent from three or something like that and you know maybe he was supposed to average like 25 a game in the g league 
or something and and 65 true shooting it just yeah there was a little bit of a drop off maybe some of the stats like weren't perfect if he just finished a little bit better at the rim they probably would have been better if he hadn't just had some of those just weird smokes at the rim but like this is this guy is like a complete point guard prospect i really don't have much to to be to, to nitpick on on here from a prospect standpoint obviously any 19 um, year old is gonna have weaknesses i i wanted more wow passes i think that you know like so for me comparing like i'm not as amped watching the scoot henderson film as i was was john morant but john morant like there are some real interesting parallels between those two guys in terms of their place within their class like the idea of of we haven't obviously done victor Wembanyama yet though you and i've both seen him in different capacities um the idea that like they didn't do really anything wrong but there's just somebody who bends the rules who's above them and so like for me but that's rarefied air you know like john morant so so you think you think uh of john morant well, you were even lower on John in the beginning, but like you think John Morant is a better point guard prospect than Scoot Henderson? I so the only potential the thing that gives me there are two things that can be possible. Like, I think they're I think they're comparable. Like I think if we were doing historical stuff, I'd have them in the same tier. Is so I love that vision from Morant. I think that and I, I thought that his overall passing game was better and Morant applied his, his athleticism more, which was which was good. It was you know it's a, another one of those like things that bothers me that that John Morant didn't do that said we even saw it in the film and of course it's it's always hard to separate out what you thought then with where we are now fortunately like i have notes i went back through them a little bit when i was thinking about this question is even though scoot henderson has dealt with a lot of injuries i was worried about like jaws a skinny dude who jumps real high and has all these awkward falls about like where does this go and it's had you know it's had some impacts and again i'm not saying i thought all of that at the time i saw it coming or anything like that but it's like that part of it with with scoot henderson he plays more under control i think that he'll be able to do it but again like this is rarefied air here like i mean i had lonzo number two in his class scoot henderson is not in the same category he's better like way 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 better than that like for so i've been doing this a little longer than you but like we've been doing these full scouts like it's he's in this small conversation with guys like rubio and um like i mean he's so different than chris paul but like i thought chris paul could do could do almost everything there was a little bit he's way more athletic and bigger than chris paul but there was i did feel a little bit of chris paul in his game and just the way that he's able just the poise that he plays with at that age offensively um uh so i mean i'll i can go through the the list here unless you wanted to say anything else about oh go ahead like your your comparison so and these are the guys who are the top point guard prospects of the last few years you know i wouldn't necessarily put Lamelo in that category that was viewed as like a weak draft to me it's ja- and you know Lamelo was shooting 25 percent for three in so Australia. just as like a point he, of clarification yeah. are we talking point guard sized or or like the primary ball handler right? no no like not a luca sure. like an actual an actual point guard size guy but uh so jaw to me this is just for my own personal evaluation jaw is in that category to me trey would probably be in that category at least to me he wasn't probably for most people markel fultz would be in that category to me i didn't think fox was there at, at that point i definitely wouldn't put d'angelo russell in that category no. at, at the time he was drafted and i didn't watch film on, on dame back then the way he played of course he would have to be considered one of the top ones but he was only drafted number six right like he wasn't thought of this generational point guard prospect Kyrie was drafted number one so he's got to be in that conversation john wall d rose Derek rose 
Uh, you know, you could, I mean, Westbrook became that, but he wasn't considered that type of prospect at the time. So of all those guys I mentioned, and I don't, I hate to invoke this name. The only guy that I would say I consider to be a more complete point guard prospect or as complete of a point guard prospect would be Markel Fultz. <laughs> and, uh, Fultz isn't the athlete that Scoot is, but more size at six, five better jump shot at this point. But of course uh, that, that fell apart. Oh. And, and I still think that, you know, Scoot to me is as good or better of a passer as Fultz. I mean, he's playing at Washington. It's a totally different situation. Fultz's defensive film was like some of the worst that I'd ever seen in my life <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but like a lot of these guys, he, he managed to figure it out. But when I say this, it's just like, okay, maybe I'm not sure if he's like an absolute 10 out of 10 in any one area, but he's definitely like a nine in um, to me in almost everything when just as, as a prospect and what I think his ceiling could be, except for again, for this type of a lead guard prospect, obviously there, he's not a nine in guard defense. There are many guards who've been drafted for their defense is better, better than him, but in terms for just like a high level of point guard prospect and even, even the jump shot too, of all those guys I mentioned, Fultz, and Irving are probably the only two that I would say had a better jumper than him at this stage. So, I mean, this is, he's just like the prototypical, like, if you, I don't know what else you could ask for a point guard prospect to be. Like, if this isn't what an all NBA point guard looks like when he gets drafted, like, what is it supposed to look like? It is worthwhile to note that the hit rate on those guys is not 100%. It is high. No. And and I I think Scoot's going to be a successful player. But, it is, you know, they're, especially when guys are a little bit smaller, you can't pair them as much and if things don't work quite as well. But it's not only with Henderson. And it's funny because when I watched that preliminary film, I mean, I, I, I mentioned this before, like, I didn't see it at first. And then I did. And it's like, okay, okay, this is this is where it is where it can fit in. And where, where he gets into that is that he's had a lot like from a sh- creation standpoint on his shoulders at a relatively young age playing against grown men. And that generally bodes really well when you could do it at a cap- at a reasonable level. And so I don't think he's a flawless prospect, but I also don't think any point guards are like, that's just the nature of the beast. That's the nature of the position. And yeah, for me, because my kind of Rolodex on this goes a little deeper, there are guys that I liked more, but they're a long ass time ago. And he's, and again, I mentioned he's in the same tier. If we were going to game this out with like how I remember John Morant and, and there are a few others over time. And so, yeah, he's he's a really good prospect. That doesn't mean he's necessarily the number one guy in this class. But I will say that I, over the course of this, so I watched actually watched some of Scoot early on, and then I went and then I watched all of Amen Thompson, all of Miller, and a few other guys, and then I went back to Scoot Henderson. That I have him above everybody else we've talked about tier wise, preliminarily. Yeah, I guess it, we was only our third, but Correct. yeah, it's it just like it, I mean, I think he he's got the capability to go out there and dominate. It's hard to imagine him completely failing with what he's shown so far, unless there's just a, an injury component. Uh, and okay, does he end up? being like a lower end all-star like that it's hard for me to see it end up being below there in the end unless injuries really intervene or the jump shot just goes like completely haywire and he's a chance to be the best point guard in the nba he's a chance to be like a first team all nba guard it would and he he's the first guy that we've looked at at the guard position yeah i mean it's really like him and Fultz would probably be like the two guys and Ja was up there too trey was different though because like trey had all these ways that he could fail and that he kind of has failed in some ways uh you know the shooting wasn't real and which it kind of hasn't been and the uh 
obviously the defensive questions and, and the overall size. So it's just like, I think he's high floor and also like really high ceiling. And uh, apparently the character stuff is good. Hopefully the medical stuff checks out well. So just really excited uh, about him as a prospect would be a totally worthy number one pick in many a draft. I mean, if you, if you go back I mean, we can just do this right now. I would say probably the last, and, and this will end up likely being wrong because you know, some of these guys are just going to emerge and probably be better than him. Like, that's just how this works. You know, like Anthony Edwards may end up being better than Scoot. But in terms of drafts previously, he would have been my number one in 22, probably my number one in 21 over Cade, although I was I was a big Cade guy. I, I certainly went my number one. I would have Scoot over Cade, but I was lower on Cade than you were. Yeah, and I might have been wrong to be that high on Cade. Uh, would have had him number one in 2020 behind Zion in 19, but ahead of Ja. And I was very high on Ja at that point. Probably would have had him over Luca, obviously wrongly, and Trey in 18. I wouldn't have 17. had. I wouldn't have had him over Luca. I was I was on that train. <laughs> I mean, I, I had Luca at number one, but I I was I was foolishly worried about his upside due to the athleticism, and I didn't I didn't understand how good he would be as an isolation player. That was the biggest thing that I missed on with him, despite the fact that I was like, this is the clear number one. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, not taking him number one. I might have had Fultz over over scoot probably not though would have been my number one in 16 carl anthony towns was pretty good uh as a prospect and pretty good early on in his career i think i probably would have still had him number one in 15 the funniest thing about towns is that i probably uh, would have been a really close call because of how much i like towns's defense but i was skeptical of his offense and then (laughs) ended up just being so wrong yeah i do i would like to think we're getting better at this as time goes on i think our records have shown that yeah and i I definitely would have him i mean i have had XM number one um in in fifth in fourteen and I would have had I would have scoot over him. Yeah, I mean I didn't know what I was doing back then, but I, I would have had healthy Joel number one and that I, he probably Oh sure. Well yeah. Ahead. But all right. So anyway that that's probably enough on that. Anything else you wanted to say on Scoot Henderson? No. BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the US economy in twenty twenty two by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well then... Let us speak of the offseason for the Boston Celtics. They have been vanquished, and now they go into what at least, as it, with respect to next year's team and next year's contractual situations, could be a relatively quiet offseason. There's really only one key player that is not under contract for next year, and that's Grant Williams. 
But of course, they have other bigger conversations to come with the Jalen Brown designated player veteran extension. That is probably, I think, where we need to begin. Although John John and I will talk pretty extensively about that tomorrow, so maybe we don't need to spend as much time on it. But uh, what is your thinking on that for the Jalen Brown extension, which would be currently projected at five years, $282 million dollars? starting at 49 million or so ending at 64 million in the 28-29 season but also cap's going up cap is definitely going up um i've seen the estimates i think bobby marks has it at, at uh, a little bit higher than i think like 295 but again we're, yeah. we're it, it all depends on what your cap estimate is yeah. for that he probably knows it better than us at yeah. this point yeah so I, I i actually have a piece coming out at the athletic which maybe up by the time most people listen to this that mentions jalen brown at the end um on the idea of because i was i was gaming out the free agents who could sign for the most guaranteed money and i'm like well it's actually probably going to be this dude um no it's not an extension is not a new contract he's not a free agent so the way that i think about brown just briefly because if you're going to talk about it with sean is if he signs a designated veteran extension you one you can't trade him for a year but the way one way of evaluating value is to game out the scenario and so do i think that if because to me if if jalen brown if you don't sign if you don't offer this extension well then actually if he doesn't sign it too um then you have to at least consider trading him because then you're taking on a lot of risk and if you offer and he doesn't take it then it at least sounds like he's well very willing to leave as an unrestricted agent because you can't offer him more money later on and yeah. so and also quickly worth noting if he doesn't make all nba next season he would not be eligible for this correct. contract as a free agent so yeah. yeah there's plenty of incentive for him to sign right away and so so the question kind of becomes would you do you think that there's more interest around the league in a 20 he's 26 right now next year will be his age 27 season jalen brown as a pending unrestricted free agent who any other team would have a lot more trouble extending though they could sign him with full bird rights of course or you ink him to that contract and it adds a lot of money to the books and there have of course been designated veteran contracts that have gone awry we just talked about john wall in a very different context but there have been plenty yeah and and particularly for guys of this ilk we're not even talking about a to me a top 15 player in right the NBA. not somebody yeah. who has mvp equity in any way shape or form at this moment and no my inclination with where the cap is going and everything else even though there are restrictions in the new cba is that it's a closer call but that having that commitment for the long term when you consider positional scarcity and what jalen brown in some ways could be more he could be more valuable on a worse team than the celtics like his flaws are amplified though Though his positional elements are very valuable. You would see that if the Celtics ever end up trading him. So if I'm Brad Stevens, I make the offer. And obviously, if I'm Jalen Brown, I take it just because it's hard to leave that much money on, on the table. So I would do it. I don't know if it'll actually happen. Well, I would try to negotiate some. I, I thought the Jazz should have negotiated harder on this. But a designated player veteran extension does not have to be for 35% of the salary mm-hmm. cap. It does not have to be the maximum raises. It does not have to be fully guaranteed in practice i think everyone other than gobert has been that gobert was older of course uh, when his kicked in so maybe i try to negotiate there maybe i say hey you know what like we'll we would give you the contract that you could get as a free agent with us next year if you don't make it you know 30 starting at 30 percent of the salary cap or you know, try to negotiate for some non-guarantees or, or what like you did do the best you can if however it truly came down to it I would, in fact, sign him to that contract. The number one reason for that is 
they have a chance to win a championship right now. This is still, I think, a championship quality or close roster. Yes, they have these issues that their best player is not quite at the level of some of the absolute best guys who have won championships recently, but they have a ton of depth. They have a chance to keep this team together. That's a good bet to be the best record in the East again. They Most of the guys on this team are going to get better next season. Hopefully Tatum and Braun, chief among them, is where they can play better. And he doesn't really have any kind of a major injury history. Hard to see him just falling off a cliff here. You know, maybe he'll be a little bit swayed by arguments of like, hey, you know, we got the second apron coming up. We want to be able to put talent around you. Maybe take a little less. You know, maybe you'll feel a little insecure after some of these playoff performances where he wasn't that great. All, all those may be the case. But again, if push comes to shove, I will do it. I also think that, yeah, he's going to be overpaid for his production, but he fits in anywhere. And that's why there's been so much talk of trading him. And you like you don't think that a team like the Houston Rockets or a team in their position that kind of has some rookies, but is uh, rookie scale guys that are pretty good, really trying to take the next step as well, or like a team where Memphis was the last few years, where Dallas was before Luca's extension kicked in, Oklahoma that they City. wouldn't take Jalen Brown. Yeah, Oakland. Like there's there are going to be teams where it's like, hey, getting a premium player at this position is massive. He can guard, like he can at least one on one. He can shoot well enough. He, he's good. In transition finish like maybe if we give him more pick and roll reps he could get a little bit better there so yeah ultimately i would just go ahead and do it even with the ugly way that things kind of ended now it's worth noting again we got to go through the finances here plan it out jason tatum will for sure be eligible for his designated player veteran or extension he already has qualified for that by making all nba two years in a row and that would not he would be eligible to sign that after next season it would not kick in until the season after that and bronze of course would kick in in 24 25 so there would be but once both of those kick in both those guys making 35 percent of the cap that's that's going to be tough the cap will be going up 10 percent a year these contracts go up eight percent a year that'll give you a little bit of wiggle room and of course we talked about uh, go back and listen to my pod with larry coon if you need more about the strictures of the second apron and again like this doesn't affect next year's salary for jalen Braun in any way so that's I, I mean i think you just you do it you keep this team together it's a great team you can figure it out later you don't want to go into next season and, and you also this uncertainty unless you get a very specific kind of offer for jalen brown you don't want to trade him right now anyway you know i i am a little concerned that this is similar logic to what we said about giving jordan Poole's extension and that didn't work out super well but jalen brown is a much more established commodity there and the celtics are you know they're a, a championship level team and most just given the overall history of the nba incidentally the 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 rare the rare times that you can trade a player as good as jalen brown for somebody either similarly good or better one of those opportunities already passed and that's when they could have theoretically maybe done something involving him and kevin Durant. something that i did when we did those fake trades low what's called a year ago and so if trading jalen brown almost definitely makes them worse and considering how good they are right now that doesn't seem like the best idea so let's turn now to and again they've got pretty much everyone else under contract i'll just run through the players who are not uh, danilo galinari 6.8 million dollar player option for next year eh, i think you might pick that up going off the turn acl and then grant williams restricted free agent for next year they've got a team option on mike muscala luke cornett has a non-guarantee at the minimum blake griffin's contract expires and then they have a decision to make on justin champagne's non-guarantee 
but if and you a take, couple of two-way guys, yeah. But so if you take ahead. just the fully guaranteed guys and then you can add in Gallinari, echoing your voice pitch on his player option, that puts you at $157 million, not including anything for Grant Williams. The projected luxury tax line for the 23-24 season is 162 So depending on how you shake out the rest of the roster, you could theoretically, like, that. that is overwhelmingly a tax team. Honestly, whether or yeah. not you keep Grant but, Williams. They're, but even if they re-sign Grant, they'll be less expensive next year because Horford goes from 26.5 down to 10. Correct. And then his contract actually descends to 9.5. So they have plenty of guys making more, even, you know, ignoring the Jalen Brown part of it. Like, you know, they're just the standard races. So for Boston, one consideration that yeah, this team wouldn't be prohibitively expensive next year. The down, weird downside of that is that 23-24, this came up when we discussed the Warriors, is the least punitive year of the tax and the especially the second apron. So yeah, being the only consequence, again, of the second apron, sorry to repeat myself here, but if you didn't listen to a previous episode or you just need to remember it, the only consequence for next year of the second apron essentially is you don't get your tax permit correct and for boston i mean how likely was a tax pyramid level guy and they lowered they weakened the tax pyramid level to five billion like to really bump fully into their rotation it becomes a bigger thing later on but honestly those are kind of decisions that are above even grant williams's pay grade and the celtics like one thing when you're thinking about oh they have this big bill and part of the reason why if if they resign or more accurately extend jalen brown they have this big bill is that the celtics have a fair amount of middle contracts so for 24 25 they have even without grant williams five different individuals making between 12.7 million and 22.5 that's on the low end rob williams on the high end malcolm brogdon and the good news for boston is that all of those guys are capable basketball players i apologize there are four it's brogdon smart white and williams i miscounted um grant williams could theoretically work his way in he has not yet well should, should we talk about grant's situation real quick before sure. we kind of talk about like ways to remake the team sure uh reportedly he turned down in the 12 million a year range uh, over four years if i were some of these teams i would go above that like a san antonio would be a perfect fit with him i think he'd be a good fit in okc so some of these teams that have like kind of string beanie centers and can use some beef uh so and then you maybe have some caps even like he would be a, a solid adult in the room with a houston for example uh indiana has nothing whatsoever at power forward so i, I would be willing to go into the mid-teens on an offer sheet for grant williams like i said i would just match that with the celtics particularly because that would indicate that there would be plenty of interest in him but if they needed to trade him but i also think they need him like al horford is going to be slowing down they need to play him fewer minutes i would say in the regular season he wore down by the end of these playoffs he's going to turn 38 i think shortly after next year's playoffs and yeah like maybe you'd say gallo coming off the acl is now like our backup four or we'll just get by with like mike muscala's team option or something but it just like well, there's no reason to let this a good player go for nothing like this especially because he's largely gotten better they should the celtics brass should take something from the lakers caruso example which is letting somebody go who seems like they're going to be at least close to properly paid who is helping you right now can really hurt when your team has 
high expectations and relatively low margin for error. And so it would be an own goal. And as you said, if it's, you know, come, let's say it comes in the form of an off sheet, there is a scenario where this season goes so badly that teams regret the offers that they made to Grant Williams. But generally speaking, you can you can find something there. And that's the difference between his situation and let's say like Jordan Bulls is that he's hitting restricted free agency as opposed to it being done via an extension. That also means but, theoretically. So, so what's, sorry, sorry. What, go ahead. What's your, what's your offer? to him if uh like before restricted free agency before free agency what's your offer to him that you want him to just sign and not go into the restricted free agency process probably 14 a year yeah um, something along those lines that seems reasonable and then if you if you think you can do better than that then okay we'll match the offer sheet is there an offer is is, is there a burrito so hot that you wouldn't need it in this case i mean i get up to like 17 or 18 maybe yeah I was and thinking, it's important I was thinking, to keep his, i was thinking yeah. 19 would be my line yeah and it's important to keep his salary down because you have all these issues coming up uh, as well and you imagine that he's gonna be around for a while he's young like he, he can shoot like he's some switchability can defend in the post he's i think he's an important piece for them but okay so you're going to kind of start a game to like if there was anything larger that they could do is that kind of where you were headed more on the idea but along those lines of like if boston whether they want to be proactive and do it now or down the line like want to shed salary that isn't brown or tatum then you could do that through the like brogdon smart white williams group robert williams in this case not grant and the down downside is that you might be making your team worse with some of those because that you're probably trying to shed salary responsibilities but the really good news for boston is that especially in the case of smart and white though you could argue brogdon in a different way they already kind of have some built-in redundancies there and so and also you're presumably trading that guy not just into empty space you're opening up something whether it's a trade exception or an acquisition in the deal that will help you so maybe that's a i don't know more even more of a forward size guy or it's a different kind of point guard or whatever else you're going to do and so I, if I were Brad Stevens, would be, I I would say it's more listening than shopping. All of those guys, but Robert Williams, because I love Robert Williams. And I think that, you know, this is a hard time to trade him when you consider all the stuff that he's been dealing with physically. And also he makes very little money relative to his production. It it might be a good time to trade him given all the stuff he's been dealing with physically. Possibly, possibly. Um, I I mean, I think you would, for him, I would be more in the, like I said, it's like shop versus listen. Like I would be, I I would, I, I wouldn't hang up the phone. Like the number of truly untradeable players in the NBA, in my eyes, if I were running teams would be like five. And he's not one of those five. And so, but especially with Brogdon, Smart, and White, all of which are good players, all of which can help the Celtics win, all of which could be a part of a Celtics championship team in 23-24, maybe a reshuffling could work if a team is interested. I'm lowest of that trio on Brogdon, but have been for a while. And acknowledge, I mean, this is something that Jared Weiss and I brought up back when they acquired Derek White. Like, White and Smart are both good players, but you can survive with one of the, as great as they are together, you could survive with one of those two if you really needed to. The problem is, what does that trade look like? And I don't have a great idea. The The hope is that somebody overvalues your dude and makes a mistake. Yeah, see, I, I don't really see the idea of like, let's just shop these guys to see see what's out there. I, I think it, it has to be like I, in any trade of a smart or a white. I don't think it's like the other team is trading for Marcus Smart. It is this is this guy is coming back in a bigger deal. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. 
Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's let's backtrack a little bit, though, here. And we never really did much of a post-mortem on these guys. But if you want to look at why they failed, I mean, to me, the number one reason, and hey, maybe they didn't even, they wouldn't have failed if Jason Tatum doesn't sprain his ankle. But I think the Heat probably would have won that game anyway. And they clearly have some issues that they, they can get better on. They have a ton of depth. They don't really have any like holes in the roster. And the biggest thing would be, you know, a, another great scorer or shooter. And that's really tough to go and get, particularly if they want to maintain the defense that they have. And that's why I wouldn't be too eager to move on from smarter wide i think you need both of those guys as guard defenders who can switch but also defend at the point of the attack and give you so much versatility to play different ways defensively with your different bigs i would love for them to maybe have like one more great shooter i think they need possibly one more big although even someone like Cornette, like they got by with him fine in the regular season uh as long if as long as rob is healthy like, would it be nice to have like one more athletic guy who could kind of do a little of what rob does okay maybe that's someone you just look to sign at the minimum i wouldn't want to throw a bunch of assets at that so would it be if they were to go after you know the likes of an og ananobi is that does that make you that much better like it probably makes you even more impenetrable defensively to get a little more size you know a little more transition i don't know if they have the juice to go after like a true superstar would be available i'm not even sure who that is yet uh you know maybe like if michael winger wants to move on from bradley beal could you acquire bradley beal without having to give up brown or daniel i mean that's probably something that's completely untenable from a salary standpoint uh even going forward uh yeah because bradley Beal's under that contract for a long time oh yes he is but you yeah. might say like bradley beal just another scorer who's got at least some size could probably hold up as like our smallest defender it wouldn't hurt our defense too much give us like one more place that you can go if you're going to put your best guy on tatum like yeah that that sort of a trade would be interesting and they have like all the salary they could send out is good and they've got is, is like, now when i give you an outlandish idea well let, let me just say what they can trade first sure. so yeah they can trade everything except a 2028 first and they cannot but they cannot trade their own 2023 first that's done at the draft but once the draft's over they could trade four first round picks and they could trade two swaps if they wanted to going for like they have that ability so yeah what do you got there guy who's a knockdown shooter not as good a defender as he used to be but would be would do really well in the celtics overall scheme overpaid but only for one year i don't think this i don't think his current team is trading him but clay thompson would be a very if they were willing to pay it and had all these matching salaries would be one hell of an addition to this team yeah although i don't think he's 
I think the guys that they're trading, like two of any of their like other good rotation players, I probably would just rather have those guys than Clay. I probably would too. Um, another outlandish one. I I was dancing around the idea of like, well, what if you traded Jalen Brown for one of these high picks? Is like, let's say Scoot Henderson falls to the three pick. Like, it's a, such a fundamentally different timeline. But it would. That's the kind of thing like we talked about how point guards this good, this young don't come along very often. You know, I think you think about it a little bit. Yeah, if they. They could maybe figure out a way to get there to where they could receive a guy in a sign and trade and stay under the first apron. That might be a possibility and they have assets to do that. I'm not sure who would be just like, all right, we're really going to prioritize this guy this much among like guys who are available in free agency right now. So I, I don't, yeah, I don't they're, really they're see really, that. I, it's, it's unfortunate for them that there aren't those guys. So the oh. the next star who becomes available, maybe that they could in theory be in the mix to, for such a player. They don't have any like really young cost control guys anymore that are particularly sexy. But I mean, they have other guys that are good salary that could be rerouted. And uh, they have they yeah. have all those picks. I mean, because it's basically the only encumbrance they have after this year is that protection picks with the Spurs, and that's a swap right. So they they could still trade what they have left of that. If they were to lose Grant. You could go with like a Jay Crowder for the tax mid-level. There are some guys out there they they could just get another wing or another four to try and replace them. Uh, not someone who would be as good. You know, Tory Craig or Jeff Green. You know, Trey Lyles is probably actually they wouldn't want him necessarily because they need someone who's a little more defensively versatile. So there are names out there where if they lost Grant, it wouldn't be the end of the world for this year. But again, I think he's just a good young player that you don't want to be trying to replace on the tax mid-level every year um any like bigs that you think are would help them just like in the regular season not that i would really move a ton for because the the threshold for a team this good is would they be a part of your postseason rotation in most iterations and you know that you you're probably not so then i'd be looking more towards like the best guy you can get for the minimum rather than going harder after somebody else one guy i might actually like for them is orlando robinson coming yeah, off he showed some signs. In, in miami like i think just one more athletic big who can kind of play that rob role if they need it biombo might just be too hopeless offensively but maybe I, for the minimum that seems like it's probably fine yeah all right i think i think that's about it anything else we gotta talk about with these guys it looks like they're gonna keep joe Missoula. so um yeah uh Mike Muscala, $3.5 million team option. Pick it I'd up, pick trade him up. to OKC for a second. I would pick that up. I think he, and I think he can help them player. in the regular season too. He can kind of be the Horford role, at least offensively in the regular season. Yeah, between Muscala and Cornette, that should be, those guys make $5 million combined, $6 million combined, and they're, they're serviceable. I mean, Mike Muscala actually like legitimately helped OKC last year. Yeah, I, I would personally, at their prices, I would rather have Muscala than Cornette by a, by a margin. I mean, Cornette was like totally adequate he's making the minimum is it oh he also the other thing with Cornette too is he has guaranteed date isn't until january so of course you sure him yeah for that. i wouldn't cut him i never said no. that but i was just saying yeah. relative to the price they're making now can they get bull bull back <laughs> how about max Struess? Oh boy. Okay, I think we're done here and hope you guys enjoyed. Oh, actually, oh no, oh, no, we're not done. We are not done. Thank you. 
We are, we are I, not I, done. Because... I said before the episode I wasn't going to do that. And then I said, well, in case I do that, please remind me so you yeah. So, because, you know, the other thing we have is the potentially the richest coaching contract in the history of the NBA. Um, we That, of course, the reporting on coaching contracts is notoriously, like, limited and sometimes a little bit hard to parse. But as far as we can tell, Monty Williams gets a six-year, let's call it $78.5 million deal with the Detroit Pistons. And that has team options for years seven and eight. Nice work if you can get it. And this, uh, I, I saw this from somebody on, uh, from for, from Kurt Badenhausen on Twitter. Um, I can't independently verify this. He, he works for Sportico. That $12 million a year, which is the rough, the rough estimate here, that puts Monty Williams into the top 10 highest paid coaches in any sport in the United States for now. First of all, I want to congratulate Tom Gores and, and Troy Weaver. Apparently, Williams wasn't interested at first. He was planning on taking a year off. He has three years and $21 million remaining on that deal from Phoenix. And they said, oh, no. And basically any other offer would have been like, yeah, you know, we'll give you a five-year deal. I guess he got a five-year deal with the Suns. And remember, actually, too, in terms of like what money values, he chose the Suns over the Lakers in part because the Lakers were only offering a three-year deal, which uh, Frank Vogel ended up getting. And he probably wish he had gotten a longer deal, even though he led them to a championship in the end. But and then Monty got this extension for seven million a year. There are offsets in coaching contracts, but this is just a so but it's the Suns who get the offset, not the Pistons. Correct. And so that uh Maddish Bia is uh hey, I wonder if he uh just gonna throw a Detroit buddy Tom Gore is just like a, a little bit of that uh that mortgage company stock under the table as as uh help pay a little of Bonnie's salary. That, that's a joke, I think. But this is basically paying him six extra million for over what he would have been getting already over the first three years and then three more years at 13 million a year and then also two team options on the end of that too i mean i think that's fair for detroit if you really uh really are gonna commit this long you can get two more team options which i assume are at a a similar salary number this is the first six-year coaching contract that i can recall and of course you know, Greg Popovich, his isn't necessarily public. Like uh, most of these guys, like the premium candidates, will get five. And the last guy I can recall who got six, at least reported, was Brad Stevens. I think he got like six years, twenty-two million, and that, uh, of course, was back in 2013 to lure him away from college. And that was a similar situation. It was supposed to be a big, long rebuild for a guy who had stability. And that's kind of like what it took. Now, I don't generally these coaching contracts have team options on the end. If it's a four year, like the typical coaching contract is a four minus one. If you're a premium guy, maybe you get a five minus one. So for this to be six years, I, when I first saw six years, I was like, okay, yeah, it's like a six minus one. No, it's six years fully guaranteed. I mean, I guess it's basically like an eight minus two if you want to use that parlance. So this is absolutely breaking the bank in all ways. But I think, and why I congratulated Tom Gores and Troy Weaver for doing this, given Monty's record in Phoenix, this is 
as good as you ever could hope to hire someone and particularly a guy with this resume for such a shitty team. I'm excited to see what Monty Williams can do with a roster that has a lot to figure out. And I mean, you and I are both Cade Cunningham believers overall, but it has not exactly been the best start, even if you ignore the health issues. But figuring out everything with with from Wiseman and Ivy to more established players like Alec Burks and William Bogdanovich, how they fit into the mix here. And they have the fifth pick. It's it, there's there's a lot for Money Williams to put his stamp on with this team, and he'll have, of course have a lot of time to put that stamp. And so I'm I'm interested in this. And I thought Williams, it was surprising to me that he wasn't as firmly in the conversation with the Sixers. And he has improved a lot as a coach. Like I've never had him in like the the tippy tippy top of like I we don't I don't do coach rankings where you do that with John. You guys do a better job than I would do anyway. Um, but I have had him in the course coach of the year, rarefied air numerous a couple times now. And for Detroit, it's non-capped money. It's non-luxury tax second apron, all that type of money for a better coach than you're probably going to get any other way. And Monty had unusual leverage because it wasn't another team. It was nothing and theoretically any other team. But for Detroit, I mean, you your, your vacancy only comes open so often and they got the best coach that was reasonably available. Yeah. And if you consider number one, from Monty's standpoint, I'm not sure how focused they are on actually getting better this year. I'm not sure. I mean, I think there's going to be a really good player available for them to take possibly at five. This team is not ready to win now with their personnel. They do have cap space. There are going to be other teams that might feel even more of an impetus with cap space and a high pick to get better. I think this is a good year to just, you know, make the pick and just continue trying to build. They need more talent. Like I don't see the talent of a playoff team should it develop normally on this roster right now. But when you look at what they do have, some similar outlines to what they had in Phoenix. Two guards, their complex pick and roll system, Cade Cunningham, pretty good in the mid-range. Monty was fine with that. And there's probably more personnel-based than philosophy-based, perhaps. But a couple of rim-diving centers, probably neither of them as good offensively as DeAndre Ayton, but guys who certainly have plenty of gravity ruling to the rim. Now they need someone who can stand behind that half circular line that's 23 feet, nine inches from the hoop and make shots. Explain how. Uh, <laughs> but hopefully they, they get to that point. And if there is pressure for them to get better this year, like I don't think that the ingredients are here the way it was for Phoenix, but I thought that about Phoenix too. But they you know, they went ahead and signed Ricky Rubio and that helped them get a lot better that year. And they got a few other pieces in uh, to at least be competitive in, in Monty's first year. And just holding guys accountable, the overall culture, like I, I think he's it will be as good as you could hope there. He's been one of the best regular season coaches uh, in his Phoenix tenure. I mean, we'll see what this does to the coaching market. I'm not sure. I wonder how much old Nick Nurse is getting paid in Philly. <laughs> That's if he, uh, he, he might kind of be doing a double take there, but I think it's pretty clear that this is a premium that had to be paid just because they suck right now. And because he's already getting paid for three years and 21 million. So anything else? No, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. This is a small thing here. Uh, G League Ignite as the number one and number two players, I believe, in their recruiting class, including Gavoni's number one overall player for next year. Uh, Matis Bazilis is not supposed to be a 
nearly as good of a draft as this one is of course ron holland who i I talked a little bit about in the discussion of the nike hoop summit is another guy who's going to be on this team a couple of interesting prospects uh, as well for uh, out of the nba academies so that that ron holland is the number two player in the class i don't think he's going to be the number two overall pick but by any means but he actually decommitted from texas to go to g league ignite so there's maybe a feeling that there wasn't as much momentum for this program but they're getting at least their their deepest class if not maybe their most exciting i don't know if there's a jalen green or a scoot henderson in this group necessarily yet and i think there's even a there's another guy who's supposed to be a a senior in high school who's pretty good that's gonna be in there that i i'm not remembering right now so looks like that program is still on a pretty good footing and uh, we are on good footing as well here we would like to think uh, if you haven't subscribed yet to dunked on prime please do so and you'll get off-season outlooks like this for all 30 teams. We're probably about seven or eight teams in with that right now. We did Scoot Henderson. We did Amen Thompson. We did Brandon Miller. Might get to Victor Wembanyama at some point. And, of course, we've got the mock-off season coming up. we got a special sale with the mock-off season at a, for a year-long membership that will get you, I think it's about 30% off what the monthly price would be. So if you haven't subscribed yet to Dunked on Prime, there is never a better time than now. You can also get our cap sheets our free agent rankings that we've been using to go through all these off-season outlooks i think those free agent rankings are really useful at this time of year it's got everyone's ages in there sorted by position restricted unrestricted so yeah Dunton prime we think uh we're giving you more than basically any other premium basketball product and i hope that you will give it a shot if you have not already thanks for listening at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.